0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father If you've ever applied for a job, you know that there's many considerations and factors that might influence you one way or the other. It can be the work environment, but I think one that often we take into account are what are the perks and benefits that come with this job. Uh, and so we're always looking at those because that is important. Listen to some of these perks. If you work for IKEA. Uh, you are guaranteed to get four months of parental leave should you need it, whether you're a part-time or a full-time employee. And they have their own in-house restaurant for just coworkers, so you can eat a delicious meal for just $3 a day. But that's if you work for IKEA. Reebok, we shouldn't be surprised. Reebok has an on-site gym, and so they encourage employees to stay fit, to use the gym, but especially to use it during the workday. So if you need an hour to take a nice run, it'll help you be more productive in the afternoon, go ahead, you're welcome to it. IKEA, Reebok. Uh, Scripps Health, this is an interesting one. Uh, They have a very strict wellness program, but if you meet the guidelines and qualifications for the wellness program one year, The second year, your medical insurance is completely covered by them, 100%. And then finally, Starbucks. We know we often joke about people who work at Starbucks, but don't laugh. They do promise full reimbursement for college education towards a bachelor's degree. And especially if you do it through Arizona State online, it will cost you absolutely nothing when you are done because they will pay for it. Well, I thought it seems appropriate, given this is Labor Day, and Labor Day initially was started to commemorate the importance of labor, uh, trades, work. To look at work in terms of not what we do to somehow try to win God's favor, which we can't, but the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what are the benefits that are ours when we are recipients of that gracious work. Um, so that's why I'm t- directing your attention to the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter one. And before we get into looking at the work of the Father, the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit, I wanna just draw your attention to three words in the very beginning of this letter in verses one and two. And so typically, you know, with Paul's letters, they begin with a, a type of salutation, a greeting we have a tendency to just kind of read through that quick because we want to get to the meat of the letter. And that is very important. But notice the three words that he uses in verses 1 and 2. These three words describe or should describe everyone who is a genuine believer, who knows Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the three words are this, saints. So notice he says, to the saints in Ephesus... Uh, certainly writing to a local church, but also this is a letter that's meant to be circulated, passed through other churches. So notice I thought that if you know Christ, this is a broad term that defines you. You are a saint. Now, I probably am pretty certain most of you, if I greeted you at the doors, you came in and I said, are you a saint? I think most of you would probably say, oh, no, you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, but, but that's not what this word means. It means you are set apart. You have been, as we'll see, forgiven of your sins in Christ. You now belong to him. So even before we get to the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, keep these three words before you that should define you. You're a saint. Notice the second word is those who are faithful in Christ. Uh, that, that This is a genuine relationship that you have with God in Christ. Uh, it's a trustworthy one. It's one that proves itself in your life. And we all know investing one hour a week on a Sunday morning in your relationship with the Lord uh, is not enough. If, if that's all your relationship with the Lord is, boil down to the 25, 35 minutes you hear me speak. Uh, clearly there's a question there. Are you really the faithful in Christ? Does everything else in your life revolve around your relationship with the Lord? So we've got just the first word, you are saints, you're faithful in Christ Jesus. And then verse two, this familiar pairing, grace and peace. Grace and peace belongs to you in Christ. In a world that is graceless, in a world where there is a lack of peace and unrest, this contrasts a, a, a state that we are in, not, not our circumstances, but an actual state that we can live in, in Christ. So with that little brief intro, Paul will now expand and elaborate on the work of the triune God that brings all those benefits into our lives and what it should look like. So let's start, as Paul does, uh, with the work of God the Father. And so look at verses 3 through 6. Uh, And I don't know if any of you have training in English or grammatical things, uh, but verses 3 through 14 in the original language are one sentence. So one sentence consisting of over 200 words. Uh, But we're breaking this down, and Paul clearly in verses 3 through 6 draws our attention to the work of the Father. And so notice verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And just that first intro, praise be. What is the word praise be? It's not the same word as worship, even though you could say, well, praise is intricately involved in worship. That's why we praise God in song. Uh, But what does it mean to praise? god for his many many blessings well this particular word praise is the root for our word eulogy and so typically if you think of a eulogy a usual eulogy is where someone speaks well of the person who has recently passed but what is interesting to me is that word praise in the new testament is only used in reference to god So nowhere do you ever see this same exact word used in reference to two people eulogizing one another. This strict sense here is we are to speak well of God because of what is ours in Christ. And then you go down just a little bit further in verse 3. Well, what is ours because of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms. As far as I know, all of us are sitting here on earth in a specific location right now. So what does it mean we're blessed in the heavenly realms? Well, that's indicating to us, where is the source of this blessing coming from? It's coming from God himself, who dwells above heaven and earth, who is both transcendent, he's above and beyond us, But he's also imminent. His presence is among us. That's the source of all our blessings. What a a difference between me trying to say to you, uh, your blessings this week will be in your circumstances. Because none of us knows what this next week looks like. And some of us already may be fearing some of the circumstances that we find ourselves presently in. But our blessing is in the spiritual blessings that have come down to us from the throne room of God in Christ. It's interesting that he speaks of every spiritual blessing. Not not a few, not a certain percentage, uh, not just those who fit a certain category, but all those who are in Christ will receive every spiritual blessing. But then go on a little bit further in verse 4, and referring to God the Father, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, for many people, they, they come to a verse like this, and they find this somewhat disturbing, controversial, but what does it mean to say that he chose you? You know, that this is the term we refer to, he elected you. What, what what does that mean, and what's, what's the basis for this? Uh, we live in a day and age where we're very concerned about justice, the sense of fairness, uh, same standards for everyone. You know, what does it mean when it speaks in Scripture that, that those in Christ have been chosen before the creation of the world? Well, there's two ways, as you may guess, you can kind of go with this this doctrine of predestination or election, some would say it means foreseen faith. So, so God knows everything. He, he knows every aspect about your life. He looks ahead and he sees that you're going to hear a message about Christ. You will respond favorably. And therefore, his decision is based on foreseen faith that he sees in you. Another perspective is that this decision if it's made before the very foundations of the world, is made strictly in the sovereign counsel of God. That he just says, I want you. And then we'll do everything in August and move everything in your life so that you will respond willingly in faith to the message of who Jesus Christ is. And I believe it is the latter that is the most consistent teaching of Scripture, which should amaze us. He he did not select you because of who you are, who you might be, what you would do. I love the way Paul illustrates this in another letter uh, to a church at Corinth, where there are some big name people there. Uh, it's a, in a city where they're impressed with philosophers and other things like that, and and Paul says this, and I like to test the truth of this by testing it among you to see whether or not Paul's right. So let me try this. How many of you have ever, or how many of you graduated at the top of your college class? Anyone? Top of your college class, any of you? Any of you ever been elected as senator, congressman, congresswoman? No? Any of you ever appeared in Fortune 500 because of your vast wealth? What what are you guys, a bunch of losers? No, isn't this God's design? Who does he pick, Paul says? Not, Not the wise in the eyes of the world. He picks these weak, frail instruments to call to Christ so that the power of God is evident in us. So the world looks at this and says, this is your answer to man's need to present the message of Christ. Because you notice in Ephesians 1, 4, it says he chose us not because we were holy and blameless, but that we might be holy and blameless. What, what a difference that one word will make. If he chose us because we were holy and blameless, then he picked us because of us, our potential. But no, he didn't pick us for that reason. He chose us to be, that he would transform us to be set apart, to be saints, to be blameless in his sight. Even the people of Israel needed to be reminded of this. Um, If you'd like to turn with me, go to the book of Deuteronomy, and then we'll come right back to Exodus. But we always look at how the scriptures are very consistent in what they're teaching. So we go all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we know that it speaks in the very beginning of God's plan of salvation uh, that he would call the people of Israel. And there's always that question, why did he pick them? Remember that in this equation, you want to consider if everyone is born a sinner, then our just punishment is separation from God. But notice what it said here through Moses in Deuteronomy 7 and verses 7 through 9. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he, might, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. We go right back to, as Paul would say, you've been predestined out of God's love, his sovereign choice and counsel, And what an amazing thing that is if we start to consider that, that it should do to us. Part of the work of God. But in Ephesians, we go back to one other aspect in chapter 1 of the work of the Father. And that is, you notice in verse 5, through this work of choosing, electing, it says in verse 5, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And we're all very well acquainted with what adoption is. You know, someone who was not a part of a family now becomes a part of that family. They assume the name. uh, They enter that person's house. Everything that person or those parents owned now is enjoyed by this new member of the family. And so it speaks of how now the Father, as we think of what transpires when one acknowledges Christ as Savior, you now become adopted into the family of God. You now are in a a unique relationship with God the Father. And so we've said before this is why if you are a Christian, you can refer to God not as just your creator or the one who originated everything, but as your heavenly Father. Paul was so touched by this that in Romans he says, it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can cry out and say, Abba, Father, to God. And we may take that for granted. Well, yeah, of course we can call out to God and we can, you know, call him our heavenly Father like Jesus taught in the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But you want to look at the context in which Paul wrote that in the first century, Roman Empire. It it was illegal for a slave to refer to their master by the title Abba. You you could not refer to a master by that title because it was not a right that you had. It was not a privilege that you had. So imagine sitting on a Sunday morning at a church in Rome this letter is read in a culture that says you cannot do that. Paul says you can do this in Christ. You can refer to God in the most intimate, deepest way because of Jesus Christ. So that highlights for us the work of the Father. But now you notice in verse 6, which I included in this first sort of work of the God the Father. Verse 6, you're going to have a common refrain that will come up two additional times in this same section. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Almost as if this is not just directing us to think about what I just told you, but now think about how and what your response should that be, that we praise him. But this is a glorious example of grace. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. But it has been gifted to us so let's turn now to the work of the son now when we speak of the work of the father the son and the spirit these are all in perfect harmony but there's a distinction given but none of them is functioning in disunity towards another but you see clearly in verses 7 through 12 paul's now talking about the work of the son and we know this because he begins verse 7 and says in him. But that would go back to the very end of verse 6. The one he loves is referring to Jesus Christ. So in Christ, now we see a twofold description of what are the benefits, the spiritual blessings that he referred to in the very beginning. What do those look like in the Christian life? Because we have been... Saved, as we started to sing this morning, by the power of his blood. Well, you notice in verse 7 and verse 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. So one of the first benefits, and it is a tremendous benefit, is we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And I am certain that there's not one person here that can say, well, I've never sinned. You may be able to say, well, I haven't done this or haven't done that. But not one of us can say, I've never sinned. So we all stand in need of redemption and forgiveness. Now, the word redemption, sadly, is a a great theological term, uh, but it's often rarely used in our everyday language. But the word means to purchase or buy back. And typically, it's associated with what Paul and others would have done in those days. You go to the marketplace, you see something you like, you you pay a price for it, and then there's a change in ownership. It belongs now to you. Well, that fits perfectly with this thought of, in Christ, you are a saint. You've been bought, you've been purchased by the blood of Christ you now belong to him. And with that redemption, he says, through his blood comes forgiveness of sin. Not just turning away or ignoring your sins, but your sins have been paid for. And therefore you are released from them. They are lifted off of you. I don't think we need to look far today to know in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, there are a lot of broken people. A lot of people carrying around tremendous guilt. And, and many of them justly so. They've, they've done terrible things to other people. Is there a way for them to, to experience release from that? Forgiveness? Absolutely. And, and that's available, as it mentions here. This is one of the benefits, the blessings that come to us in Christ Jesus. And I think we're astute enough to realize that one can be forgiven of the punishment of sin, but you may deal with consequences in your life. And that's all part of God's justice. So we mustn't think this is just a quick sort of, good, I can get away from all my sins, I don't have to think about that anymore. No, you may still deal with that, but you have now the promise that in your relationship with God, you stand as righteous before him. Notice that thought that he says there at the end of verse 7 into 8, this has been lavished on you. Would it make a difference if it simply said, well, God's kind of trickled this out. He's just sort of a few drops come your way. We know what the word lavish means, to to pour out sort of an, an overabundance of spiritual blessings, a blessing of redemption and forgiveness. But then look a little closely at verses 9 through 11, because we now become in christ recipients of wisdom and understanding so verse 9 he speaks of it's been made known to us the mystery of god's will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in christ this is not saying well suddenly you can understand everything and you'll know every detail about what god's plans are for your life no he's talking about god's will in christ in other words we could say the mystery of the gospel. Like the fact that you can sit here and say, I understand what it means that Christ died for my sins, that I have new life in him. The only reason you can understand that is because God has opened your eyes to that. He has given you wisdom into the mystery of the gospel, the truth of God spelled out in the scriptures. And the word mystery here is used... Not like we might tend to think where if you're reading a good mystery and you're pretty smart, you can kind of put the pieces together and and hopefully you're right by the time you get to the end of it, you solved it. mystery, as the New Testament uses it, refers to something that was unknown to us, but now has been made known by God. So there is this mystery that has been revealed. Notice in verse 10, we, we have a deeper understanding of, of the big picture of the plan of salvation. Not, not to just save us from our sins, which is one of the benefits, but also what? To bring everything into right relationship and subjection to Jesus Christ. All heaven and earth. We, we, we get to have insight into this is what God's plan is. This is not just what we, salvation and spiritual blessings are not just about what we have been saved from, but as I referenced in my prayer, what we're saved to. This is what awaits us. Then you notice as well in verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of, of his will. I think this comes down to a very practical level. There's assurance of God's sovereignty when it comes down to the events and circumstances that happen in your own life as a Christian. As, as you read these words, keep in mind Paul is specifically talking to the person who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because everything he said here sadly does not apply to the person who who does not know Christ. And I I like the fact in verse 11 there, this reminder, because we will have things that happen in our life or in the life of our family, loved ones, that are painful, that we cannot fully understand. Every once in a while we get a glimpse and how this helps us down the road, but there are times that we, we don't see that. remains a shadow to us. We can't see clearly. But this is promising us in God's sovereignty, in Christ, is this assurance. Very similar when Paul would say, for all things work together for good to those who love God and are called by him. So we've looked at the recipients of wisdom, and then notice verse 12, again, the refrain comes up. Following this assurance of the work of the son, verse 12, it says that this would all be for the praise of his glory. So we've seen, well, what's the work of the father? We've seen the work of the son in this order of salvation, the outworking of salvation. So in verses 13 and 14, we come to the work of the spirit. How how does all of this work? Well, the spirit takes What the father planned, the son accomplished by his death and resurrection. And the spirit applies that to you and to me when we confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see in verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In other words, Paul takes us right back to what we might say is conversion. How, how did that happen? How, how did you suddenly realize you were a sinner, you needed forgiveness? You didn't figure that out on your own. Long before you reached that logical conclusion, the Holy Spirit was working on your heart, convicting you of sin, helping you understand the things you heard or read in Scripture. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But he moves to another aspect. Is the spirit done after that? Well, now you're a child of God. Now you're adopted. Well, no, because then he speaks of this sealing that happens with the promised Holy Spirit. And again, it's helpful for us to think of what, what's the word seal mean in a first century context? Well, as you probably know, you can think of how documents would be sealed. A a king's signet ring or something with his initials, a design in it, would be pressed in wax, and it would would seal a document. And the reason that was very important, it spoke of identification, like where was this coming from, spoke of authenticity, spoke of ownership, uh, and spoke of the value of something. Paul uses that imagery and says this is what happens the work of the Holy Spirit you are sealed in Christ it is a reminder as he goes on it says notice that it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance I'm assuming many of you at some point have probably had a car loan and yet if I were to ask you if you have a car loan if I said to you where's your car you probably say to me, oh, well, my car's right in the parking lot. Even though technically you, you, you don't own the car yet, you're making payments, but it is seen as your vehicle. Well, this phrase that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing is literally saying he is the first installment. In other words, the fact that you can say the Holy Spirit lives in me is evidence that everything else that's promised, as a part of our salvation, is going to be completed and fulfilled. You don't just have God's word on it. You have his installment, his own Holy Spirit that comes and lives within you. No wonder this section ends with the refrain again, all of this to the praise of his glory. Paul has a certain style in his letters, as you quickly will see. He likes to emphasize first doctrine and spiritual teaching and then application. It sort of reminds me, I think we often find ourselves living in a day where where we're often seeking experiences. What this reminds us is what we need is not experiences. We, We need to know who we are in Christ. What we are in Christ and the blessings that are ours in Christ, which is why we should always go back to this passage to remind ourselves. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, as we consider Paul's teaching here, given by you, may it better prepare us as we move into the Lord's Supper, as we through the bread and the cup. Remember, focus on what has been done for us and all that is ours in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.